Let's open the Gospel of John to start to chapter 20. John chapter 20. Let's remind ourselves why John wrote, and let's clarify terminology before we even get started. John chapter 20, the last two verses. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. amen and amen. Jesus was the personal name given to our Lord and Savior, the promised Messiah of Israel. Jesus is Jehoshua is the Savior, or Jehoshua saves. Jehovah, Jehovah saves in his name Jehoshua, which coming into the Greek language and then into the English is Jesus. That's his personal name. Christ is his office of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and he is the Son of God. He's the Lord of glory. As you heard, he's the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as Daniel shared with us from Psalm 99. These are written that ye might believe. But that believing is more than mental assent to facts given or to events observed like the miracles of Jesus. It is a changed life, and without a changed life, your belief means nothing more than what the devils have. And that is the lesson of John. You may have liked the Gospel of John for some other reason, and I'm sorry that you were misled about understanding this Gospel. This Gospel corrects false believers more than the other three put together. And I want you to remember that, and we're going to encounter it again today in the 8th chapter. Let's turn to John chapter 8. These things are written that we might believe, but the believing that John seeks is a life that is changed for the glory of Christ. It's a life that puts down sin and puts away sin and lives in righteousness, as his first epistle declares so plainly. John chapter 8. We have made our way to verse 20, which concluded the second section and told us that Jesus was in the treasury of the temple teaching that no man laid hands on him yet because there was still six months for his ministry to run before Passover and his crucifixion. I want to read to you verses 21 through 29 and let's cover them in this service. John chapter 8, verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. 
But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. Amen and amen. Amen. We have the woman taken in adultery in verses 1 through 11. We have Jesus addressing the remaining crowd after the scribes and Pharisees, the false accusers and conspirators against Jesus had left. And he addresses them in verses 12 through 20. Now he addresses them again. And so we have the word again in verse 21. Then said Jesus, unto them again. I go my way. Wonderful words. Jesus had a purpose and a plan and a destiny, and he was going to fulfill it. He was going his way to the cross. He was going his way to the grave. He was going his way to the right hand of God by being resurrected and ascending into heaven. His death was only six months away, and so he says, I go my way. He is on his way toward that appointment with death and his place in heaven. It was, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. We know it was six months before Passover. Feast of Tabernacles is in the fall, and the Feast of Passover where Jesus was crucified is in the spring. It was his way. No one else could detain him or send him. God was sending him, and he was obeying God, going the way God had planned for him. Only God could direct the Lord Jesus Christ And Jesus was fully committed to pleasing him and obeying him. His way, I go my way. His way is very different from our way. We die and stay here if it weren't for him. We rot in the ground and are thrown in the graves like sheep, according to Psalm 49. Our spirits are with the Lord the moment after we die, and our bodies are resurrected in the great day by him. But he was the one that could lay down his own life and he could take his own life up again. John chapter 10 will teach us that. The founder and leader of our religion is far different than any other ever. Amen. Whether Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Buddha, each of them died and was buried here. Our Lord Jesus Christ is king and priest and sits at the right hand of God in heaven above all authority in heaven or in earth accepting God himself. And ye shall seek me. Now this is an interesting statement by our Lord. In verse 21, I go my way, and ye shall seek me. They would not seek the Lord Jesus Christ out of desire or love or faith, because he said, ye shall die in your sins. They were going to seek him in another way. They were going to be seeking for a deliverer to save them from Rome because times were going to get severe. Jesus said to them on the way to the cross, he said to the women that were following him and weeping for him on the way to the cross, he said, women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Because if they're doing this in a green tree, what is it going to be like in a dry? If they're doing this when times are good, and everything is peaceful and prosperous, 
what will it be like when the Romans have besieged them? Ye shall seek me. They would die in their sins, so this is not truly seeking him in repentance. Any man that truly seeks the Lord Jesus Christ will never be rejected by him. He said to so in John chapter 6, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Jews sought a Messiah. They knew that it was time for a Messiah to arrive. They hated the boot of Rome over their nation, and they wanted deliverance. They sought Jesus in confused fear and hate after his dead body disappeared. For the guards of the tomb said some very strange things about what happened to that body. And they were paid a great sum of money to keep their mouths shut about what had happened. So they looked for the body, and they looked for him, but they weren't looking for him to believe on him. They weren't looking for him to save them from their sins. And they were looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the Romans. The Jews didn't appreciate Jesus or want a Redeemer from sin because they didn't think they had a sin problem. They thought themselves the descendants of Abraham and thus guaranteed for heaven. So they sought a Messiah of their liking that would deliver them from Rome and that would feed them. Remember, in John 6, they wanted to make Jesus king because his miracles of healing and he had fed the 5,000 there in John chapter 6. They would need a Messiah, these Jews would. They would want a Messiah, but they did not want the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone wants a Jesus to their own liking. And so there's plenty of Jesuses preached out there to the liking of men. That's why there's another Jesus preached in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. But we want the one of the Bible. We want the one that the Lord has declared a report about in the gospel and the one that he has revealed his arm through, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you hold your place at John 8 and look at Matthew 24 you will see their obsession about a Messiah. The Jews' obsession, who would be destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem and who would be rejected in the great day of judgment. Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, Jesus said, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Many false Christs are going to come, and they're going to deceive many because many will be looking for a Christ. Verse 11, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, that ties verses 5 and 11 together, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The Jews would be seeking him. The Jews would be seeking the Christ, but they would be looking for a Christ of their own liking, and they would die in their sins because they didn't want the one that God sent them that delivered them from a far greater enemy than Rome. Let me be in the redeemed family of God and under a tyrannical, foreign, pagan government then to give me freedom to have my own government and leave me in my sins. We should be able to recognize the great advantage of the second situation over the first. 
Men seek for a Savior at the hour of death, but they don't want the Lord Jesus Christ because he has claims on their lives, their thoughts, their words, and their deeds. They want a Savior. They want one in the day of judgment. They're going to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord! Can you hear the desperation in their voices? Lord! Hell is singeing the hairs off their back. Lord! Have not I this and have not I that? And he will profess that he never knew them because they didn't really want him. They just wanted fire insurance. They just wanted a fire escape. They didn't want the consequences of their sins, but they didn't want to leave off their sins. They didn't want to break off their sins. And today, we're here to break off our sins, to end our sins, so that we don't die in our sins by laying hold of eternal life, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to John chapter 8. Ye shall die in your sins. And they died in their sins. They died two ways. They died in the fiery inferno of the destruction of Jerusalem, and they died in their sins there because they knew not the day of the time of their visitation, and they will die in their sins in the great day of judgment. Ye shall seek me. Not really him, but they were going to seek a Messiah, and they, should, and they would die in their sins. In John 7, 34, we have a very similar expression, and it should be across the page maybe from this or around the page, one page back, ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. But we can go there. He's coming to get us, to take us there. So there's a very different category of persons here, and the terminology is different. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. And here in John 8, a little more progressive revelation, ye shall die in your sins. Not only can you not come to heaven where I'm going to be, but you're going to die in your sins and go to hell where you should be. As Jesus advances his doctrine, here in rapid progression of revelation, he foretold their condemnation in sin. If they had read Psalm 22 that we had presented to us last Lord's Day, if they had read Isaiah 53 with desire, they might have known him. He was standing right in front of them the Messiah of God, their promised Savior, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, was there. But they did not care for a Redeemer that would die for them and their sins. They wanted one that would ride a white horse into victory against the Romans for them. Don't ever get caught up in the things of this world. Who cares what happens to America? It is really irrelevant. You're not going to slow it. You're not going to stop it. You're not going to defend yourself from it. It is a distraction of your mind and your time. What matters? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the king on that throne. And he does ask from something from us, and it does affect our lives. It does affect his glory. Let's always keep the kingdom of Christ first. America and the kingdom of Jesus Christ are not cousins. They're not identical twins. They're not fraternal twins. They're not distant cousins. They are entirely unrelated. Always have been unrelated. Unrelated. The fact that the kingdom of Jesus Christ had a little bit of liberty and freedom in America does not make them partners. They haven't been partners. And that is all irrelevant. Who cares about the philosophical or religious foundations of our nation? 
It's all irrelevant now. It's been flushed and it's long gone out to sea in the sewer. What are we going to do? We have a king. We're members of a holy nation. And that's not America. We're citizens of a holy nation. Lord, help us to keep our priorities straight. Because these Jews did not. They were his people. They had the prophets. They had the scriptures. And they missed their Messiah. They didn't want a redeemer that would save them from sin. They wanted a man like David to deliver them from foreign armies. They wanted a king that would feed them like they had tried to get Jesus to do in John 6. What terrible deaths they ended up dying in their sins in Jerusalem first and then the lake of fire. Listener, brethren, thou shalt surely die as well. But will you die in your sins as these? Will you die in your sins? You can die in your sins several ways. You know there's the lake of fire out there, and I'm certainly including that. But you can die in your sins by being cut off early. Can that happen? I have a brother over here who's also a father, nodding his head. Can it happen? Yes. Thou sh- we're, we're going to surely die. Let's not die in our sins. Let's run to Christ. He's never turned anyone away. Running to Christ is so simple by faith and then by obedience to him, to follow him in his life. It's the only way that life can be lived full of light and it's the abundant life and it's how you get your life is to give it up to him. Lord, help us to do that. Whither I go, ye cannot come. He said that in 734. Where I am, thither ye cannot come. And he says it again right here. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't beat around the bush, did he? He just flat out told them, I'm going to heaven and you can't come because you're going to die in your sins. You're going to seek me and look for me, but you're not going to be able to find me because I'm going to be in heaven because you can't go there. But he's coming to get us to take us there. We not only can go there, we will go there. And he said, I've told you that I'm going to come again because right now I'm preparing a place for you. John chapter 14, we'll get to it. What a difference between the righteous and the wicked in this John chapter 8 and verse 21. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Jesus told these Jews they could not follow him to heaven, but they knew it not. They thought heaven was theirs because they were Abraham's. As they're going to appeal to Abraham in verse 37. For those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will come again to take you to heaven. Death is nothing. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's already defeated death. He already stared at that dark curtain as it came toward his face. And he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit and went right through it. Went right through it in the presence of God. And God had forsaken him in the way of fellowship. And God has not forsaken us in the way of fellowship. We should be able to die like the Lord Jesus Christ or better. I don't know how it could be better. Because he died perfectly. Whither I go, ye cannot come. For those that believe, you will certainly go to him to abide forever, as Colossians chapter 3 tells us. Verse 22, Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Now, brethren, you can pick on anything you want today. You can waste this assembly by picking on anything you want. What do you dislike about my tie? What do you dislike about the temperature in here today? 
What is going to distract your little pea brain from the gospel? Can you believe what these Jews said? Will he kill himself? What did they say in John chapter 7 when he said, I'm going someplace that you can't come? Is he going to move and get a U-Haul and go live among the Gentiles? You want to see it? It's over there in verse 35 of John 7. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Every opportunity that we get to hear the report, who hath believed our report? Right. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The report is being given to you right now. The arm of the Lord is being revealed to you right now. What is distracting you? What is distracting you? Nothing should distract you. Right. Nothing. Look at these people. Will he go to the Gentiles? Will he kill himself? Yes, of course. There's the hidden spiritual meaning. He's going to commit Harry Carey that afternoon. He's going to hang himself. What intelligence. These are the most enlightened people on earth at the time, but unable to see the Lord of glory and what he meant spiritually. I'm going to heaven. You can't come to heaven. You're sinners, and you're going to die in your sins, and you're proving it so by rejecting me. You're proving it so by being so distracted that you would think I'm going to commit suicide. Is this the same Savior in this same city, in this same building, in this same room that said, Ye have made my father's house of prayer a den of thieves? How in the world can they be thinking he's going to kill himself or go live among the Gentiles? Okay, we just need to ask ourselves, what are we distracted with today? Okay. Oh, the Lord's able to set up things in your life to distract you if you want to be distracted. The devil wants to distract you, so he'll help you be distracted. Or we can think about, you know, there's more than Greenville in this universe. There's more than Greenville. There's more than America. There's more than North America. There's more than the Western Hemisphere. There's more than this little ball of dirt that has a little bit of water on it. There's more. There's a whole universe. And above that universe is a place called heaven where Jesus went and he's preparing a place for me and he's coming back for me. And he's coming back for me if I believe on him because that's the evidence of it that he's done a work of grace in my life. Lord, I believe! Do you believe his report or not? Don't be distracted like these Jews. What a ridiculous statement in verse 22. Verse 23, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I'm sorry, let's just stop right there for a moment. Why didn't he say, No, no my friends, my friends. Victoria, come up here and help me explain to these people. You wonderful people. Victoria, girl, come on. That's Joel and Victoria Osteen, okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Come up here and let's explain what we mean. Jesus didn't say anything like that, did he? Oh, folks, you missed my, under, you missed my, understand, you missed my intent. You misunderstand me. What did he say? 
I love this Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He had given them every opportunity. He had written down a timeline in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, of exactly when he would arrive. With a timeline. Exactly when he would arrive. He arrived with the most fantastic fanfare possible. Herod, you say, but Herod killed a bunch of babies. Herod killing a bunch of babies was prophesied in the Old Testament. All of it was there. They should not have missed the Lord Jesus Christ at all. But do you know how depraved we are? Do you know how distracted our minds are? Do you know how wicked our hearts are? And it's true of every single one of us in here, but for the grace of God. I love this Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one I, I worship. This is the one I love. And this is the one I want to obey. Verse 23, he said unto them, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. You are thinking naturally like an earthling. I am thinking and speaking spiritually like someone from heaven. Why don't you make the connection correct? That's what he means here. He's not saying ye are from beneath, beneath the earth. Ye are from beneath heaven. He goes on and explains that you're of this world. You think in worldly terms. You think in earthly terms. You think in natural terms. I'm from heaven. I speak in heavenly terms. I speak a spiritual language. And you should be thinking about what I say. But we are totally different. Oh, and yes, he was totally different from them. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you. Notice that he wants to repeat himself of the harshest words that he had said so far. I'd like to say this again to you. I said therefore unto you in verse 24 that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. What a sober warning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you won't die in your sins. From our standpoint, that is absolutely 100% true. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in his name. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Then add to that baptism what Romans chapter 6 describes adding to it. Throwing off the shackles of servitude and slavery to sin to take and put on the shackles, the handcuffs of slavery to righteousness in Romans 6. And to obey him and to present your bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12, and all that Romans teaches and all that the rest of the New Testament teaches. Paul would tell Timothy how to lay hold of eternal life. Timothy, a man that he had already ordained and had been preaching and pastoring churches for years, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 how to live a holy and righteous life and to lay hold of eternal life. And how do you start laying hold of it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Believe that this man, this record, this declaration of him, this revelation of his strength and his representation of God and his divine mission on earth is the true Son of God, and that you will live your life by His terms. Not a single one will ever be lost. That's the evidence of eternal life. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. Jesus identified the great fault and its consequence in these Jews that were facing Him. He had previously described it as Him going to a place they could not. And here He says again, they would die in their sins, because if they didn't believe, they would. Now, they're about to believe. They're about to give him some mental assent, and he's going to expose them as not being real believers. Did he, has he done this before in John? He did it in chapter 2, when he would not commit himself to believers. He did it in chapter 6, when he 
exposed those belly worshipers that were following him because they wanted bread for their bellies, but not the bread of life. Verse 25, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Why did they have to ask that? Why would they ask that? He's been telling them all along. He told them in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2 and 3. Was there Nicodemus that came to him by night? Did he tell him some profound things? Did he tell the woman of Samaria? Was the whole city of the Samaritans converted? Had he told them all this in John chapter 5? The previous year? He had. What question do you want to ask? Yes, you know that I'm looking for you to ask one. Because those are foolish and unlearned questions. This isn't an intelligent question. This is a ridiculous question. He'd already explained to them exactly who he was. They were in Jerusalem. They had had a feast of seven days duration. And it tells us at the beginning of the feast, everyone was wondering, will Jesus show up? Will Jesus show up? John chapter 7, will Jesus show up? They all knew him. They knew what he claimed. He had healed thousands upon thousands. He had fed. He had calmed storms. He had multiplied loaves and fishes. Who art thou? Do you know him, though? Let's just pass over such a ridiculous question and make sure that we know who he is. He's the Lord of glory. He didn't look like it when he was on earth. And that's that's the trial of faith. Looking at Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth? Remember what Nathaniel said when Philip came to him and said, we have found the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? What did Nathaniel say? And Nathaniel was a good man, an Israelite indeed, in whom there was no guile. What did he say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? That's what a good man would say. Looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, there was nothing to desire him. Did you get that this morning from Isaiah 53? He was not a comely person. He had no pedigree. He had no education. He had no known intelligence to be compared with Solomon or anyone. And yet he would say a greater than Solomon is here. I love that too about him. Who art thou? In verse 25. Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I've been telling you for three years. He has six months to run in his ministry. For three years, he has been telling them who he is. And they didn't get it. And they're still asking such a ridiculous question. It's a shame, brethren, that a passage that I gave to you yesterday in the preparatory email from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is hardly preached anymore, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not the gospel and that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful passage. It is what's coming next. Do you know the stuff they want to put in newspapers and put on blogs and put on the internet is all irrelevant and worthless information? What gets you intrigued about the internet? Because they had a little sprinkle in Texas? Did that sprinkle in Texas get you excited that something big was happening in the world? It was only a sprinkle. Nothing really happened. What really happened is that it wasted a lot of newsprint and a lot of eyesight and a lot of ears and a lot of time thinking about it because it was all wasted effort. 
How much of the rain hits your property? Why were you reading about it? Curious, I'm just curious. I just laughed at it. I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. They have to make it as big as possible to keep your mind twirling with the next event. The next event, whether it's right. the eclipse or whether it's a little bit of a, of, a, of a sprinkle in Texas or whether it's something going on in Afghanistan, just, a little, just keep your mind a little distracted so that you won't be thinking about anything important. But you know what an, the next event is that's kind of important? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven. If you don't believe that, there's a bunch of other churches in Greenville that won't bother you with it. But I want to bother you with it right now because Jesus said here twice and wanted to repeat himself in three verses, ye shall die in your sins. The Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. There may have been comforting angels sitting on a rock outside his tomb when the women approached, but we're talking about his mighty angels. The adjective that God wants us to know about the angels that are coming with him are his mighty angels direct judgment on this earth in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The issue is knowing God and obeying the gospel. That's what we're learning about right now. We want to obey the gospel. What if we, what if we believe and obey the gospel? Then it says that same appearing is going to be for us to be glorified with him and to admire him in that day. Yes, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that we can admire you. We want to see power like we've never seen it. We want to hear power like we've never heard it. I've never been to a fireworks display where it was loud enough. I wanted it louder. I've never heard Handel's Messiah's Hallelujah Chorus loud enough. I've always wanted it louder. But when the Lord appears, I will not be needing it louder. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound, time shall be no more, and the shout of the Lord and the voice of the archangel shall rip the cemeteries worldwide open. The sea shall give up the dead that are in them. Hell and death shall deliver up the dead that are in them. And everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, but we will admire him. He'll be comforting us. My brothers, my sister, Lord, we love you. Do you love him right now? Right. Let's obey him. He wants us to obey him. He's coming in vengeance on those that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel covers our lives. It tells us to believe the record that God's given of his son. It tells us to be baptized by immersion on that faith. It tells us how we ought to be a wife. It tells us how to be a husband, how to be a parent, how to be a child, how to be an employee, how to be an employer, how to be a citizen of a nation, how to be a magistrate. It tells us. It tells us how to manage our money. It tells us how to manage our time. It tells us how to control our mouths. It tells us what we should listen to. It tells us what we should think about. It's all in the gospel. Are we obeying that gospel? Lord, help us. It's not preached much anymore. That's what they used to call fire and brimstone preaching. Because there's going to be fire. There was fire on Jerusalem. It's just a token of what was coming. 1.1 million died in that inferno, but there's the lake of fire. If you, you've ever come close to drowning or if you've ever burned yourself at all to combine the two is a great combination of words that I give God great credit for of being very creative in three words. Lake of fire. 
lake of fire. To be cast into the lake of fire. Well, I'll swim to shore. There is no shore. The lake of fire. I didn't choose those words, and nor did preachers of the past. Those are the words of the living God. That's the holy God that you heard about from Psalm 99. And he deserves to be exalted and for us to worship at his footstool. Verse 25, they ask, who art thou? I hope you have to ask no such question, that he is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Turn back a page or two to get the last few verses of John chapter 6, and let's see our brother Simon Peter and his initiative give a good answer. Jesus said to the twelve in verse 67, Will ye also go away? John 6, 67. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the promised Messiah of Israel, the anointed one of God, the Christ, and our Savior. And we're sure of it. Are you sure this morning? If you're sure, if you're sure, then you know that he is coming from heaven the way I'm describing, and he's going to burn this place up. If he's going to burn this place up, then you shouldn't be putting very much hope in it. You shouldn't be putting very much joy in it because he's going to burn it all up. It's going to change your life. Help us, Lord. Lord Jesus, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. This verse may sound a little convoluted to you, but what it is saying is, I know that I am alone standing here speaking to you, and I have many things to judge you of, and you may be wondering on what basis is there integrity in the testimony of one? He has dealt with that in verses 12 through 20. We covered it fast a few weeks ago, and he dealt with it in John chapter 7. But he's, he says here, the reason is that what I say and what I judge about you, I was told that by your God. I was told that by Jehovah. I was told that by the God of heaven, the God of Israel. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. See, he's not just saying I'm true as he did in John chapter 5, because he was, in 5 and in 7 and in 8, 12 through 20, we have had passages that pertain to his defense right here. Because remember, we've encountered it. One man testifying of himself is not a valid testimony. And so in John chapter 5, he brings up three witnesses, John the Baptist, miracles, Scripture. And then in chapter 8, 12 through 20, he brings up, your law says that in the mouth of two witnesses, everything can be established as truth. Well, there's two, because I'm saying it, and God is in agreement with me, and he's saying it. So he doesn't have to go back and elaborate, and that's why the verse looks a little difficult, but it's not. In verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. I am on a divine mission from God, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So there's two involved. I am the mouthpiece of the one that sent me, and the one that sent me is Almighty God. 
that he's made clear from the beginning who Jesus was in himself. I have many things to say and to judge of you, and did he ever. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount and how he took the Jewish nation apart, starting with their religious leaders? Point by point. Ye have heard by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. You have heard from your rabbis that you shouldn't kill. Those rabbis have limited killing to the overt actual act of taking another person's biological, physical life. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment and has violated the sixth commandment. Now that is a lot of things to say and to judge of the Jewish nation. And he went through chapter 5 about killing, about adultery, about divorce, about lusting after a woman, about not turning a cheek. When someone smites you on one, turn another cheek. If you don't turn another cheek, then you're not one of mine, and you don't belong in heaven, and you won't be going where I'm going. Listen, brethren, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 covers every part of our lives. You're to love your enemies. You're to pray for your enemies. If somebody takes away your coat, get excited and give them your cloak also. Then you're like Jesus Christ. Chapter 6. Pray in your closet. Don't pray in public. Give your alms in private. Don't give your alms in public for a show. And here's how you ought to pray. And don't use vain repetitions. Just on and on. Chapter 7. It's the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to life. He has many things to say and to judge you of. But it's not really me speaking because I'm on a divine mission. I'm the Son of God, and God has sent this message, is what verse 26 means. Verse 27, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. They understood not, in verse 27, that he spake to them of the Father. This shows us the great division among the Jews and their varied opinions about Jesus Christ. If I were to take you back to John chapter 5, they wanted to kill Jesus because he healed the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And when they confronted him about that and said they wanted to kill him for, and sought to kill him for healing that man, he said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. And it says in the next verse that they had a second reason now they wanted to kill him because he had just made God his father. Right. <laughs> now that was a year earlier. So what does this mean? That's how confused the Jews were. The Jews were totally confused about Jesus. Some Jews understood with hateful malice that he was referring to God as his father. Some Jews misunderstood who his father was. Some Jews understood and believed carnally. Some Jews truly believed. And so it says in 7 and in 9 and in 12, there was a great division among the people because of him. Look at chapter 7. Look at this division. Let there be no division in this church. You can divide about everything you want to, but we're not going to divide about the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You can, you can have your children educated any way you want to as long as you're bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you can use essential oils and you can use essential fatty acids. And you can use them both or you can use none of them. And we'll defend every single person. But we're not going to have a division about the Lord Jesus Christ. John 7 and verse 12, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Look at verse 27. Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Look at the confusion. 
Verse 31, many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? What kind of belief is that, asking about a Christ that's coming later? Verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Oh, look at the confusion. So back to John chapter 8, lest we get waylaid. When we look at verse 27, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. There was just mass confusion about the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this particular verse, he's focused on those that just didn't understand spiritual things. That when he had appealed to his Father's house of prayer, and the other statements that he was working for his Father, and his Father had committed all judgment to him, and that he along with his Father would raise the dead, John chapter 5, they were just confused and didn't know what he was talking about. And so we come to verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. When ye have lifted me up, the Jews would lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be lifted up in the vernacular or terminology of John? To be crucified in a Roman cross, lifted up from the earth and suspended on that tree, that pole, that piece of wood. He's going to tell us that. I hope that you already know that, and I don't have to show that to you right now in verses. He has told Nicodemus that in John chapter 3 and verse 14, and he's going to teach it again in John chapter 12. He's describing the means of his death. Stoning would not lift him up but the Romans would lift him up. And therefore the Romans were the ones that put him to death at the instigation of the Jews. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man. The Jews did not kill Jesus directly, or it would have been stoning. The Romans did it, but it was the Jews that pushed them to it, suspended in the air on a tree. Jesus fulfilled the law positively by obeying it for us, and he fulfilled the law negatively by dying on a tree for us. Because the Bible says, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13 quotes that of the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior. He satisfied everything God wanted. He obeyed the law perfectly so that his perfect righteousness is applied to our account at the judgment bar of heaven. And he took the penalty of a curse on us. Right. Cursed, ye workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. He took the curse of God in the law of God by hanging on a tree, which was a Roman death. Our Lord Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. Looked at positively, looked at negatively. Positively, we have his perfect righteousness. Negatively, he endured the cross and the curse of that cross for us. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. The point by context here is evidence and proof of a divine mission as the Messiah. What does it mean when it says, then shall ye know that I am he? Are they going to believe on him? No. They're going to be rattled and scared and overwhelmed by the events and signs in the heavens that are taking place. The point by context is evidence and proof of a divine mission as Messiah. He said, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. You will know that I am not an ordinary man. Okay, let's think about that. D. 
did that happen? Jesus was lifted up on a cross. It became very dark for three hours. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. There was a great earthquake that tore the rocks and the graves were opened. And a pagan centurion with his little idols probably in his pockets smote his breast and said, truly, this man was the son of God. And not only did the centurion say that, but it says all those that were with him said that. When they saw these things and heard these things, they, as a group of people, said, surely this was the Son of God. Did they repent? No. Is there any evidence that any of them repented? There is none. Assent to a fact by spectacular demonstration of power does not make salvation. And neither does it to have Tim Tebow get up and give his testimony. Or Greg Laurie. Or any of the others today. And the thousands that they claim they're getting written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. Because this was phenomena outside of His Obvious influence. Jesus is dying on the cross. There's darkness. He's addressing his Father in heaven. You know, if there's ever a moment where a person's going to tell the truth more than at other times, it's when their last breath is hanging in their throat. And he is still calling upon his Father in heaven. He is still asking his Father in heaven, Why have you forsaken me? He's asking his Father in heaven to forgive those that are crucifying him. And he is telling the Father, I'm committing my spirit into your hands. Here I come. That was, that was a lot of demonstration that there was another party involved, and that was God in heaven. The sun is shut down for three hours. There is an earthquake, and the veil in the temple is rent. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Yep, Jesus was right. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. This wasn't just me that you're dealing with. You're dealing with God. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The issue here is that he was on a divine mission and he was the Messiah. Verse 29, and he that sent me is with me. Jesus looked very alone. They knew the apostles were dumb, ignorant fishermen. And that the apostles could not hold a candle to the Lord Jesus Christ at this time. They would later but not yet. And he looked alone. And so Jesus said in this 29th verse, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. My relationship with God is perfect. We're united. We're united in purpose. We're united in presence. He's with me. Of course, he's united in nature, but that wasn't the issue here. It was purpose and God being with me. We are about the same thing. What he wants me to do, I always do it because I always please him. And when you lift me up, you will know that I was his and I'm on a divine mission from him as the Messiah because there will be phenomena to declare that I am the Son of God. And there was. 
For I do always those things that please him. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ could testify about himself and his relationship with God. What is your relationship with God? Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. How alone are you in the world? Some of you, the things I hear about you and the, sometimes the way I see your faces, you act like you must be alone in the world. I, I don't understand it. Why you're unhappy? Why you're bitter? Why you're critical? Why you're negative? Why you let little things overwhelm you? It staggers me. I don't understand it. Is he with you or not? If the Lord's with you, who cares what happens? Who cares what anyone does? Who cares what you don't have? Who cares what you lose? Let it all burn down around you. You still have him. And he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus put, I'm not alone. You can look at me and think that I'm alone. But the Father is with me. He hasn't left me alone. Did Paul and Silas understand this? Were they in a dungeon with their backs bleeding, naked, wounded, manacled? They sang and praised God. Why do little things bother you? Little things bother you because you don't have the big thing. And the big thing is the presence of God with you. If the presence of God is with us, let me, let me throw myself in there now. If the presence of God is with us, why should little things bother us? We might be cast down from time to time, but are we ever going to be destroyed to do something wrong? We might be distressed, but are we ever going to be in despair? Nope. How? I want to, I'm, I'm ending right now by telling you that God was not only with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's with us in some phenomenal language that I have to wait a few weeks until we get to it because it's in John chapter 14. So just turn over, for, remembering verse 29. He that sent me is with me. He that has saved us is with us. The Father hath not left us alone, for we do always those things that please him. Can we make it that way? Jesus did it that way. Let's be in Christ and like Christ and please the Father in everything we do. And look at what promises are made for us. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments, John 14, 21. As soon as the pages stop turning, I'll read it to you because I want everyone to see it. These are wonderful verses. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Do you, do you know what I just read in that one verse? That is incredible. That is fabulous. It's unspeakable. All we have to do is keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And his commandments are the way to have the abundant life. Look at that. He that loveth me shall be loved of my father. Now wait a minute. John... You're contradicting yourself. You're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. In 1 John 4.19, you said, we love him because he first loved us. Here it says, he loves us because we first loved him. 
What's wrong? Ah, they're both true. He loved us, which causes us to love him. And when we love him, and when we keep his commandments, he loves us more in a personal, practical way of fellowship with us. He embraces us. He warms us. He speaks to us. He tenderly comes to us in increased fellowship so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Because there can, you can be a Christian, you can be elect, you can be justified and not, have, not be filled with the fullness of God. But this is what you get when you keep his commandments and you get excited about keeping his commandments. He interprets that as real love and he will come to us and love us. God will, Jesus will, both of them will come to us and manifest themselves to us. Right. We will see clearly. We will know clearly. God is with me. God is in me. You say, is that the only verse you got like that? Nope. Look at verse 23. Right there on the same page. Oh Lord, I, I love repetition. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. I thought that if a man kept his words, he loved him. From 21, well, it's just all put together. You love God by keeping his commandments, and by keeping his commandments, you show God that you love him. But Jesus said in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Is this possible? That God and Jesus Christ will both come and make their abode with you? A man, a woman, a person, one person? Is God divisible? Can he do that? Can he come to you and come to me? Or if he goes to you, he can't come to me. If he comes to me, he can't go to you. He can go to come to each of us. Amen. If, if, in verse 21, it's he, singular male pronoun, but it doesn't limit, it's not limited to men. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is singular that loveth me, and he singular that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. In verse 23, if a man, singular, love me, he, singular, will keep my words, and my Father will love him, singular, and we will make come unto him, singular, and make our abode with him, singular. I don't know how it can be any better than that before heaven. And how do we get it? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and keep his commandments and love him. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you committed to keeping his commandments? All of his commandments. Every part of your life. Do you love him? Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.